2: Live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, RPC's Lori Calvicino. I'm back, I'm sorry. Dan Nathan and Guy Adami. The bulls are back, baby. Stocks rallying to kick off the week. So whatever happened to that bond market panic of just a few days ago, we are digging in. We're also keeping an eye on shares of Baidu. The Chinese internet giant soaring in the after hours after reporting earnings. We will have more on what is driving this big surge. And later, the great American consumer being put to the test this week when we get a flood of retail results will break down the key names you need to watch. But we begin with a news alert on big tech. Let's get straight to Seema Modi with all the details. Seema.
3: Hi, Melissa. Attorney generals are reportedly moving forward with an antitrust probe on big tech. That, according to the Wall Street Journal, we just have here an uh, attorney general from Mississippi saying, continue to be concerned with the aggregation of data in the hands of a few, and I'm always watchful of any monopoly. As attorney generals, we need to evaluate and address specific conduct utilizing our existing antitrust and consumer protection laws. One way we are doing this is a multi-state working group called the tech industry working group. Uh, Melissa, we know big tech has been under fire, under scrutiny over privacy and regulation. So this further uh, moves that forward, a continuation of a trend, I should say, based on this report from Wall Street Journal that, again, the attorney generals are moving forward with an antitrust probe. As we get more, uh, we'll bring it to you, Melissa.
2: All right, Sima, thank you. Seema Modi uh, back at headquarters. So the pressure's coming from all sides. Federal uh, investigations possibly, state investigations possibly Guy, Is this truly going to be an overhang for technology, though? Well,
4: I mean, we got this, it seems like, a month or so ago, and we talked about, look, it's basically three stocks in the crosshairs. You want to throw an apple for good measure. That's fine. But it's Facebook, Alphabet, and it's Amazon. And the market didn't care a month ago. I'm not certain why it's going to care now. It should but the market looks past it so although i think the headline is it's significant I think the market's going to give them a pass
5: once again. Well, I'll just say this, Guy. The market did care for a little bit in early June when the FTC and the DOJ had Facebook in their uh, you know, in their sites. Facebook traded down to $160. Now, it was brief, but there was a bit of a panic. And I think what's really important here is that the states are likely to stick around here. The, DT, uh, the FTC and the DOJ, there'll be ultimately some big, big settlements. I think the issue here is that it adds a level of cost and complexity for these companies to deal now with the states. And they could go, uh, the working group right now is 13 it could get much bigger. So is it an overhang? Not in your term, I mean, you know, but ultimately as we get into the balance of the 2019 into 2020, the election year is really important. And one other point about... Facebook, about Google, their gross margins have been going down over the last few few years. Because things. of it. Because of the costs yeah. associated. With it. Sure. it might give the companies a mulligan, but it doesn't give them the leeway to do some of the things that they want to do with their cash piles, make acquisitions and some other stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I, I have to agree. Uh, and Google went in that, that June uh, moment, really, for the, the company that was already, you know, reeling kind of from the, the first quarter earnings. There was some negative around the stock. You dropped this on and It went from 1130 almost right down to 1,000, which it found support on. I'll leave the technicals for somebody else. The, the, the irony here, Is And I think we've talked about this is if you broke up these companies, um, some of the parts, Facebook and Google, for sure, trade cheap to the sum of the parts. There's no question about it. Um, And there's no question about it that you bring in the state AGs as opposed to just, you know, a a federal probe or a federal. Uh, push on some kind. And you, you've certainly raised the stakes. No question about it. Go- election year, I think, is significant. Again, I think the state AGs need to be on record, having said they're concerned about this. You
2: overlay the, the, the market volatility, Laurie, and you wonder, is this going to be the thing that actually is the pressure? Maybe, maybe our moment in time right now is different from that moment in time in June or when, when it was first revealed that all these agencies were actually looking at these techs, tech stocks.
6: Well, I think we're, you know, we're getting closer to the end of the year. You're starting to see some mutual fund year ends come up in October. Um, so people are in that part of the year where they're thinking about taking some profits on things that have made really big gains. You know, I think this tech sector regulation issue, it is just not going to go away. And yes, the street has been somewhat unworried about this, but every time we get one in, one of these bits of pieces of news, it seems like the worries pile on a little bit more and a few more people start paying attention. So I think this is just the beginning.
1: I think, and I just, you know, Lori's her point is important because I think there's Two components of the risk here: mm-hmm. one is a, a you know a cost of regulatory environment that has changed, and we still don't know where that's going. Lori's right; it's going to keep going. The other is truly a cost on data and protecting data. That's that's independent of what the feds do or the states do. This is hackers. This is the the privacy issue. This is actually treating their number one product, your data, with safety and the cost that Facebook still can't tell. Well, us.
5: Here, here's the real irony: is that users don't care. They've demonstrated that right. we haven't seen users leave these platforms. We haven't seen advertisers. Lean these platforms because users have left them. So it's a really interesting thing. It's a political football. It seems to be bipartisan. And to Lori's point, it's going to go on for a while. There's no simple resolution.
4: Yeah, I don't want to discount what Dan's saying at all. My point was listen, Facebook went from 180 to 163, I think, on June 3rd. And then it spent the next month going from 163 back to 210 or so. So, yes, it cared. For that brief moment of time but with that said not all that much i do think this is an important headline without question i thought the headline a couple months ago was important at a certain point the market cares now we're going to talk about things the market should really care about and that to me is a bigger overhang but this just adds one more log to the fire
6: I would just ask yourselves, I mean, Melissa, you mentioned it earlier, there's pressure coming from both sides of the political aisle here. Let's ask ourselves, why do these politicians feel comfortable going after these companies? There have been various public opinion polls showing that these are not the most popular companies. People are still using the services. But the, the, the politicians feel like they have a target that they can go after and get away with. So I, I think this is going to take a while to unfold.
2: I, I think- and so at what point do you start thinking, oh, you know what, the politicians will still go through, even if the users still go? It's got to it's gotta catch up at some point, no? I mean, well, yeah, but the gotta issue gotta is what if it becomes
5: a cost to, you know, like, none of us, you guys just go through your user agreement, you click on it, you move on. We, we don't care. I mean, that that's kind of the right. point. So there's no damages on the consumer's front right now. And, I mean, I think that's the really big issue.
1: Here's the market impact of all this, which is that if you think about where we've been since either the May tweets, really, you know, May May 3rd or whatever that weekend was, where we went into after a nice run, and the market's been struggling. And, and really, since that time, we've had, uh, actually, since, really, since, since, well, in August, we've had four moves of 4% plus or minus, but, but mega cap tech has actually been a place to run to. It's been a place of safety, yep. and especially as companies have reaffirmed even a Google, which which at least in their second quarter numbers gave you a little bit more insight into the areas that you're concerned about and their gross margins. Right. Uh, this the, the market doesn't need this right now.
2: Wait, but that leads me to my next question, Guy, and that is, you know, prior to earnings season, everybody said that Alphabet would be the most vulnerable when it comes to any sort of antitrust regulatory scrutiny, and here we are. We are off of the report, the earnings report. It was a solid earnings report. It sort of re-rated shares of Alphabet. So is that concern, the regulatory concern, less? Well, Because you have more visibility into their business.
4: Right. It's probably the best quarter they've reported, I'd say, in the last maybe six to eight quarters that they've been reporting. I mean, I think it took a lot of people by surprise. I only say that because of the significance of the move to the upside. Yes. Is Alphabet in the crosshairs? Without question. I mean, Lori talks about politicians. I'll narrow it down. I mean, President Trump specifically went after Alphabet today in terms what of... But is the
2: downside less? I, I, I don't know the
5: answer Here's a, Here's an issue that we're not even talking about. We're talking... Apple, Google... Uh, and Amazon did not confirm the new highs in the S&P last month. So they are all down about 10% from the all-time highs. That's one issue. The other issue is if they'll overhang here in North America. We know Europe is, is leading the charge on this regulatory issue. Here's the thing. Those three companies are not meaningfully in China. And what is this whole trade war about? It's about access to Chinese markets. They will not be there for a very long time. And then when you think about this monkeying around with Huawei, exactly. oh, but that, that, that's bad good. for them. Well, bad
1: for They're them. not going to be in China yes. for a long time. But you, haven't you said on this desk that they're not even there now, so it's not even... But I understand, a, a, but if you a, think about, about growth to justify these multiples at a certain point, if you can you only get... If you wanted
2: China as the next leg of growth... You so may not get it for a while. Look, I I don't and, want to go there. I just pick I, the I last think we point all
5: agree the with Huawei. This, what did we see? What did we see from Huawei last last week? They, they announced an operating system to run on Android phones. You know, and this is something that this is all the whole China 2025 or made in. 20, they want they don't want to be reliant on us anymore, and they want to regulate what they want to regulate, and they want to censor what they want to censor. So you do not have that leg of growth for these companies
1: in China. We've seen these headlines before. I think this is what Guy's saying. That would be my final comment here. I'm concerned about it, but that's not going to change the trajectory tomorrow.
2: All right, let's turn back to today's big rally. Stocks surging today as bond yields bounce off their lows. But this might not be an all clear for the bond market. If you watched the show last week, you'll remember our next guest said, we are hardly out of the woods when it comes to the rate shock.
7: You could probably make the case that we're probably closer to a yield low around the rest of the world. But in the U.S., it looks like it's early innings for rates to fall because we're so far behind everybody else.
2: Let's welcome back in Jim Bianco, president of Bianco Research. Uh, Jim, great to see you again. Thanks for having me. So equities are basically telling us, you know, I mean, they're back to practically where they were before. So nothing to worry about. Um, bonds also, Jim. So, so what gives? Well, bonds
7: have bounced back, but they're lower than they were last Monday when they made a new all-time low. Prior to last Monday, the all-time low in bonds was 2.10. We're at 2.09 right now. They had a great rally over the last 10 days or so. They fell 60 basis points. you got to go back seven years to find the last time they had a rally that big. And this is one of five or six rallies of the last 30 years of this size. So I'm not surprised that they're kind of bouncing around. I still think the path to least resistance for bond yields is lower unless Jay Powell comes out and opens the door for a 50-rate basis point cut uh, at the September meeting. If he does that, possibly we could have a low in bonds. But short of that, if he comes out and he's not dovish enough, we could have another plunge in yields as far. That's what the market's trying to tell us right now.
2: What kind of plunge are you predicting, and is it the same sort of degree of, of sell-off in yields um, that you had predicted before or does the bounce back change your view of the bond market and where it's headed
7: no the bounce back doesn't change my view let's keep in mind now that interest rates is a relative game the rest of the world matters sixty percent of sovereign bonds or treasury bonds around the world are negative yield sorry that matters there's only two interest rates that have a two percent or higher yield left in the world the fed funds rate and the US 30-year bond and those rates are going to have to keep coming down with the rest of the world. I could see them going well down. You know, the funds rate should probably go down to one and a half by fall. I could see that the ten-year 30-year could go down to 175 by fall unless the Fed gets very aggressive and they cut 50 basis points. That's the game changer. Short of that, I think we're going to 175 on the 30-year uh, bond.
2: Jim, thanks. Jim Bianco, Thank Bianca Research. Uh, we had a little bit of a static issue, so we had to say goodbye to Jim a little bit early. Um, Do you agree with Jim? 50 basis points is the only thing that's going to cause the bottom in in yields.
4: It's interesting he says that. I mean, I would say the Fed has no control over yields at this point. I mean, you would like to think that the Federal Reserve somehow controls things. I don't think they do. I don't think any of these central banks do, although they think they do. In terms of what Jim said, 25% of all sovereign bonds have negative yields. That's not bullish in my world. Obviously the market's looking past it now. The last four days in the equity market has been very good, but the problems that got us in market and turmoil Well, last week, didn't magic go away today.
6: I I absolutely agree with that. I mean, when we look at it from an equity perspective, we don't think risk is off the table at this point in time. It would not surprise us at all to see the S&P 500 approach 2,700 before you can finally breathe a true sigh of relief.
2: I'm curious, Lori, because we have so many strategists who say lower yields are great because it provides you a cushion for valuations. Yeah. And at some point, we crossed that line.
6: Yeah, I, I think we've already crossed that uh-huh. line. I mean, we, we do generally see that when rates are coming down, that P.E. multiples go up. But guess what? When we hit the 30, 25 ish top in the S&P earlier this year, we did basically all of the multiple expansion we deserve to do in this cycle. You have to remember, the market has been pricing in lower rates um, and cuts from the Fed ever since January. We kind of got into that easing rally mode. And unless you're in a QE environment, the, the multiple expansion we've already seen is as good as what we tend to see when the Fed is easing, so I I think it's done.
1: I think we have a case, folks, where good news actually could be good news again. We're going to get Fed minutes on Wednesday. I don't think that those Fed minutes are going to be as dovish as people are going to want them to be. Eric Rosengren was out there today, a voting member of the Fed, that basically made it sound like he doesn't want to go. He doesn't like uh, the he's ramifications. been that way for a while. Well, I, but it's, it's, it's interesting to hear the Fed say this. And at a time where you guys, I think, are right to say that the Fed is largely irrelevant, the fact that we went from bad news is good news to, to a, a point where I actually think that good news is good news or that bad news, Laurie is saying bad Bad news is bad news. I, I, I hear that, and I think actually, based upon what you heard the administration, whether it was Larry Kudlow, all the weekend press, the, the, the retail sales last week, if the consumer is so strong, why are we in such a bad place? And I, I, I you know, I kind of feel the same way. Yeah, the timing seems horrible for the politicians to be
5: making this case for such a dovish stance right now. And you think about it, I mean, look look what's going on. Look at the dollar. You see where the Dixie is. It's above 98. You see, obviously, bonds. I mean, it's been a fight. That's flight central of, bank differentials, by the way. The same thing that, no, that our guest was talking about. and, un, I, and under, Understood. And, and, and I just think if you look at our treasuries, you look at our dollar, and you look at our stock market, we're showing tremendous relative strength to everything else in the world. And I think what's really important about those two big... 800 down days in the Dow over the last couple of weeks is that risk happens fast and all of a sudden when people didn't like it whatever the excuse was, higher tariffs or a yield curve inversion, they sent them down 3.5% sharply and if Q4 2018 taught us anything the days like that, the more frequently they happen, they can snowball and we can turn into a 20% peak to trough decline. And make no mistake about it, that was a crash, people. A lot of people made a lot of mistakes at the highs in September and October and at the lows in December and that's how you get offside. So to me, I, I I just think that whatever's going on here, none of us have answers. You're the only strategist here. The rest of us are a bunch of stock jockeys. Um, we just don't know how this ends, but it can't be Speak good when yourself. you have 25 percent mad. of sovereign yields <laughs> around the world I'm not that. negative, and you have our banana. Repo- I mean, our White House um, pressuring for a one percent drop in the. In the Check in the, out what in Dan's ten- sneaking and stuff in there. Know. Know whether We're he's actually meant to slide. say them or not, he just he's, it in there.
2: I'm not, I'm
4: not owning we'll that. Sly that okay. in there. I'm too big to be anything jockey, so. <laughs>
2: That's very very true. We're going to hear a lot from the Fed this week. CNBC will have coverage all week long from the Fed Summit in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Coming up, Baidu soaring in the after hours. We'll give you the highlights of the company's big quarter. Plus, the charts are pointing to some major trouble across the pond. One top technician will break down what that means for your money. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. We've got a huge interview coming your way tomorrow on CNBC. Legendary investor Ron Barron will give us his take on the markets and the recent volatility. Be sure to catch that interview tomorrow morning on Squawk Box. Well, let's get to an earnings alert on Baidu. That stock is jumping higher after hours. Let's get to Deidre Bosa in San Francisco with the details.
0: Deidre. Melissa, they're roaring back in today's session and again in the after hours. Now, they were down about 40 percent year to date, massively underperforming their peers. Now, the latest results telling investors that things are not that bad. There were worries over its core advertising business amidst the slowing Chinese economy. We saw another big Chinese tech named Tencent face headwinds in its ad business as well. Baidu is China's dominant search engine, but it was slow to capture mobile growth. So it's been facing this growing competition from newer entrants like Baidu. Dance And it's been investing heavily in new areas for its next phase of growth, like artificial intelligence and video streaming. It's smart speaker sales. Now third globally behind Amazon and Google, Baidu co-founder and CEO Robin Lee said in this quarter's release that its operating system is in more than 400 million devices. Still, though, Baidu has a long way to go to catch up with its Chinese Internet peers. E-commerce giants Alibaba and JD.com reported last week growing revenue 42 percent and 23 percent year over year, respectively, Baidu's, to put that in perspective, its revenue rose a mere 1% this quarter. Collectively, though, guys, China's Internet giants have surprised on the upside this earnings season amid a slowing economy and worries of trade tensions. On Baidu's call tonight, analysts will certainly be listening for any commentary on the macro environment. Melissa?
2: Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa in San Francisco. Tim, where do you stand on Baidu? Uh,
1: Baidu is really cheap, okay? If you look out on a trailing 12 months, and I, I do it for this company because this, is, this company in the last 12 months has had so much thrown at it in terms of concern around the margins. It's 12 times trailing, um, and, and therefore at least gives you some perspective what the street has done to the expectations, which at least they told you today uh, they beat revenue slightly. Video streaming IQ is, is, a, is a major service, um, and I would just say that the mega-cap Chinese tech names are very interesting, and watch watch uh, Alibaba around 180 because it struggled up it's up almost 20 percent in the last 10 sessions alone um, and you're starting to see some of these names begin that's a key resistance level
2: baidu is more akin though to an alphabet yes and sure. an alibaba and a jd.com are more akin to an amazon let's Correct. say so what would you rather be in Something oh that's directly oh that's like a, would, you you rather rather back- would you rather isn't it I slipped that right in, just like you slip your stuff in, Dan. Um, Would you rather be more exposed to the Chinese consumer directly or to something more driven by advertising?
5: Oh, I I think the Chinese consumer directly for the Mm -hmm. very reason that I think the Chinese have a lot of... Monetary and fiscal policy, you know, easing to do if they really get into a jam here. So to me, you know, Tencent is down twenty percent from its recent highs. We know that Alibaba's down. Baidu's just gotten destroyed. I mean, the way I think about it, I'd rather go for the gamers and the uh, e-commerce players, and that would be Tencent, Tencent. and
4: Baidu. Right. Tim is one hundred. I mean, valuation and Baidu, yeah, it's absolutely cheap. But this stock is down sixty percent, even with the aftermarkets move from the high we made June of two thousand and eighteen. That's a pretty significant drop. And if you go back and look over the last year, year and a half or so, every rally of this magnitude has been met with further selling and then you have further new lows. So Jeffrey's just initiated with a one hundred thirty dollar price target. Mm, Does it get there? I'm not sure. But I think you take this as an opportunity to take some money off the table yet again.
2: Is there value in Chinese equities at this point? Well, well, and I don't
6: know about Chinese equities, but I will say I think the key issue here, are you ready to sort of pound the table on trade warfare plays? And I'm not at this point in time. You know, I don't think you can look at valuation as the guide. I think you've got to look at the news flow. I think you've got to look at how you think the economic data is going to trend, what's happening with the politics of this trade war. I just don't see that getting resolved anytime soon. So I feel like when I look at these plays generally, I worry a bit about short-term sizes of Relief and then we just give it all back again.
1: Uh, yeah. But I'm not sure that they're trade war stock. And this, this is my point. I, I just think people have... Because uh, they're so domestic. Be, yeah. I mean, ultimately, I, I, they absolutely are trade war proxies. So Lori's right on that. I, I just think that they've been misinterpreted. And again, um, as we've said on this desk tonight, another thing that China did over the weekend that helped equities to talk about what they could do either with monetary or fiscal policy. But they, they've recrafted their, their prime lending rate. Um, it gives them a lot of flexibility at market rates to do what they want. Um, they are going to stimulate across the board. And I think it will help these companies. All
2: right. Up next. The great American consumer. We got a flood of retail results this week. Will the U.S. shopper stand up to the test? We'll break down the key names that need to be on your radar. But first, is trouble brewing abroad? The chart master has one chart that is so bad, he says it's good. He'll break down what he is seeing when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money Wall Street, wrapping up a strong day of gains. And while things might be looking a little better here in the U.S., there's plenty of trouble brewing across the Atlantic. Germany's GDP contracting in the last quarter. Its treasury yields are negative, and now Europe's biggest economy could be forced into fiscal stimulus measures to stave off a recession. But even though things are looking grim, the chartmaster says there is one European giant that looks so bad, it's good. Carter Worth's over at the Plasma. Carter, what are you seeing?
9: Sure, we're going to focus on Siemens, but first let's do a little background work. Here's the stock 600, equivalent to R S and P 500 of course. And what I've done is I've adjusted for inflation just to show how darn bad things are. Right? Germany being the leading uh bourse here, but you've got all of Europe. And what we know is that the peak in 2000, the dot-com peak, although not a lot of dot-com in Europe, uh, it, we're still down thirty-seven percent from you'd have to go up eight percent a year for five years just to recoup uh, what's been lost on an inflation-adjusted basis. But let's go um, to actual chart, forget about inflation, here's the actual chart. And what, what has happened is we keep failing at this level. Now, of course, the bull would say ultimately you break out. That's not my take on it here. I think we're either just stuck or indeed uh, there's just yet another big down leg. Now, another way to look at it here's that same stock 600 chart the index for europe and here's its relative performance to the S&P. I mean this is the real tragedy. Right? i mean it's like a permanent short we're making new all-time lows every day every hour every week and there's not a lot that uh can fix that now, frankly, frankly has to do with the way uh the weighting and technology among other things but basically a structural problem now have a look at the following 10-year chart this is siemens it's the fourth largest Uh, constituent in the DAX, and here is the DAX itself, right, the equivalent of our Dow Jones uh, industrials, 30 stocks, they are dead even, 115% over the past decade. Now, zero in more closely and take a look at this undershoot, meaning correlated and then a literal collapse, right, in Siemens um, Siemens is basically still down some 25% from its peak in 2017. I think this seems a little overdone, and uh, the play here is to play for a bounce. So bad it's good. So here is the chart. So many ways you could draw it. You could draw it as a, well, you could draw it as a, a big top. But either way, I think one way you can draw it that's quite optically clear is we worked into a wedge and we gapped and plunge my guess here is that we're going to throw back a bit and then you can get a cyclical bounce for a trade and it's so bad it's good
2: come on over Chartmaster.
9: master
2: not even a question here Jonah will bring the chair in thank you I like you, the Jonah. music so no, bad man. it's good Yeah. so Go
5: bad it's like, good. Um, good like that jack now Come like a
2: fun like 70s come game on show down, yeah you know? I, I, I like, like the gas the prices right um, in terms of the the stocks 600 Carter I mean structurally is it it's mostly banks and so then when you have commerce bank and deutsche bank covering your record lows and you have strategists saying you know what it's time to go into europe because values are so beaten down
9: yeah that that just i, I don't that doesn't resonate with me okay. so if you think about it tech is only five six percent mm-hmm. it's it's just structurally tied to big zombie energy companies big zombie banks and heavy industrials like siemens and so forth phillips um but uh, the issue is you know, is it demographics? Is it? I mean, what we know now is that that the German yields are now below where Japanese yields are, and lower than Japanese have ever been. Right. I mean, it's a it's a deflationary slump that probably uh, there's no out to it. So
1: and the, the German TINA. I mean is that, is that your, no, but, I mean, is that your point, that really that they have to go into equities, and, and, and that's the case? Is that part of the, I realize you're not making I mean, a fundamental call. Yeah, do say? they do
9: that? I mean, we know that uh, quantitative easing was invented in Japan. It didn't work. They, they, own, they own a lot of stocks. Are they going to start doing that more aggressively in Europe, if at all? Do they do it here? A lot of people think that. but. Siemens at this particular moment has virtually collapsed and I think you can play that for a balance.
5: So Carter, just focusing on the financials for a second because you just brought up Japanese uh, equities and you brought up European equities uh, and banks in particular. You look at them, they're both trading at 30-year lows. You look at the Topics Bank Index, 30-year lows. You look at the SX70, the Euro Stocks Bank Index, also at 30-year lows. And You think about, here we are, we just had this whole discussion about rates. What does that mean for our banks? I well, mean, that's why- right.
9: And actually, just look at price to book. They are trading, Euro- Eurozone banks are trading at half of book value. So when someone says, "Oh, this bank is cheap in the U.S.," it's a book. Oh, maybe not. Yep. I mean, that's what value traps are all about.
1: Except for the fact that you've also talked about it continues to make new lows against against the S and P. So on a relative basis, um, you know, look, emerging markets are making new lows every day, and so I mean, I, I think saying that U.S. banks are like European banks unless we go to negative interest rates is is totally off the mark. Well, I'm not and sure, they, but, but it's not that, a far-fetched bet at this well, point. Are you is just it? saying that? The, the, I don't know because you're you're saying that that. Um, European banks are a mess. We know that, and therefore, any bank in this environment of negative interest rates is a mess. We know that. No, well, here's a valuation
9: basis: if you can trade down to book value, and another bank can trade half book, why can't U.S. banks trade a point eight book or point seven or? Now things like U.S. Bank Corp. Some of the big ones are, are trading at one and a half. Uh, uh, the ones that are considered less risky. But I mean, the valuation is a very great But I'm subject.
2: curious, just and just quickly, Guy, and I'll go to you on this. I mean, if you are have been long pound of the table in terms of Deutsche Bank signaling something more systemic. sinister and systemic sinister. for systemic. for the European for economy. So can you could you get on board being long a Siemens for a if you believe
4: for a trade? For a trade. Okay. I think I think all Carter's talking about is for a trade. I uh-huh. think he would tell you that Europe's a mess and will maintain a mess. And at a certain point, if he's right, he'll come back on this show and say, here's where you sell the double, that's trader lingo. Deutsche Bank, and I'll, and I'll say again, there's a reason why Citibank... Is currently trading at a discount to tangible book. In my opinion, it's because they have European exposure. And to think that Deutsche Bank does not pose some systemic risk—I don't know that they do, but I certainly don't know that they don't.
2: Quickly, Lori, on U.S. banks. So
6: I would just say the U.S. banks. What we heard in this last reporting season is that if you put yield considerations aside, if you put these general macro recession fears aside, everything sounds pretty good. I mean, putting a lot aside, though. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a huge issue. But if we suddenly get our ourselves into a situation where, okay, the Fed's done its job, they haven't waited too long, all the economic data is on the uptrend. I mean, these guys are really poised to do some strong uh-huh. outperformance, and it does feel to me like on the downside, they've been so de-risked at this point. Right.
2: Okay, We're going to hear much more about the state of things over in Europe. Bank of England Governor Mark Carney will be joining us exclusively this Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. He will us be one of the many big-name guests coming your way from the Fed Summit in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. We've got full coverage all week long right here on CNBC. Plus... It's a bird, it's a plane. Nope, it is the American consumer. Could they be the key to the rally or traders will weigh in ahead of a big earnings week for retailers? Stick with us. Fast money's back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. All day long here on CNBC, we've been digging in on the great American consumer. This week, they get put to the test as a number of big retailers report results. We'll get earnings from Home Depot, Nordstrom, Target, Foot Locker. So, of course, we thought this would be the perfect time to play a little. Shop it or right. it. I kept you at the edge of your seat, didn't I? Uh, that's right. Shop it or drop it. Shop it, of course, meaning you would buy the name. Drop it, meaning you would sell the name Lori is up first. I know that's a lot of pressure since it's the first time you're playing this game. Retail ETF XRT It's down around 8% this month. So do you shop it or drop it? So we're sellers of the retail stocks at this point. So So you're dropping dropping it. it. (laughs) Well done. Well done.
6: done. (laughs) (laughs) Why is that? Uh, So look, I think uh, these stocks are on the current battlefield in the trade war, and we think that's going to take some time to play out, number one. Um, Number two, I think they're just not that cheap. If you look at large cap retail relative to the S&P, they're kind of neutral to slightly expensive on our models, so we don't think there's a lot of deep value there to begin with. Um, And lastly, I would say if you want to play the strength of the American consumer, I think you've got a great alternative in consumer staples. So I think there are better things. Not too expensive? Buy. Not too expensive. If you look at cash flow where they actually look pretty cheap.
2: OK, let's get into some of the individual names now. Are shall you, we? Are you gents ready? Yeah. Um, Home Depot reporting before the bell tomorrow. Dan, shopping it or dropping uh,
5: it? Here, let's shop it. And this is why I have an easy one here. So you're not going to even have an opportunity. The options market is implying about an $8 move in either direction. When you look at the chart right there, 200 seems to be really good support. Carter Braxton, where Friday in options action. said that is the uptrend. That's where it should get some good support. To the upside, 8 bucks is also about 215 which is where the stock topped out um, last month. So to me, I suspect the stock is in the range. I think they probably put up a decent quarter and got... Guidance is good enough, and I think you could probably play it for a move back to the highs between this little hiatus that we have in this trade talks if the guidance and the results are good tomorrow morning. So you have a little bit of a, you know, a little opportunity here.
2: Builders or depot?
4: Oh, I like that. So it's a would you rather within shop it or drop it? Well, that's a lot that's, for you. That's a lot for me. The game itself is a lot for me. I will take Home Depot down. over the home builders. Yeah. And I'll say that Home you Depot, agree. you know, it continues to grow into its valuation. Nineteen times forward earnings isn't ridiculously expensive for these guys. So I'm into Dan Nathan camp. I shop it.
2: All right, let's move on to Target. Big retail winner this year up 31%. Tim, shop it or drop
1: it? Uh, I'm going to drop it. I, I just think that there's too much pressure on these guys. I think Target's had a great run, too. It's kind of a victim of its own success, but a relative value. They, they, are, look, they are getting whoa, a little late on my drop it. Um, yeah, my red bag is is getting kicked to the curb because I I think if you look at the comps, they're also becoming more difficult for this company. Uh, if you look at what's going on in terms of tariffs, also the labor component of their business, I think there's a margin issue and I think it's a way, there's way too much store space in the big box retailers for, for them to, to not have margin degradation.
2: I mean, talk about the crosshairs of the uh, tariffs here. Yeah,
1: and I agree. And I think if you're looking at Walmart's results
5: last week and you want to try to extrapolate the target, I think these are two very different companies when you think Walmart gets half of its $500 billion in annual sales from great Groceries. Target looks a lot more like one of these atrocious uh, department stores. So to me, I think that if the trade war stuff does come back on, that's where Target will be felt. Atrocious. He, yeah. It looks more
4: and more. I like that. Yeah, it's, it's strong. See, I think the valuation suggests it's priced in already. So I might be the lone wolf on this desk and would say shop it just because just
2: because all right well you get your own here
4: oh I like this game Nordstrom reporting
2: later this week shop it or drop it
4: well 10-year low in Nordstrom's over the last week or so I mean all the problems they've been facing is everything we've talked about now for months People say valuation is compelling. Well, it's been compelling for the last three years. That's not the story. The story to me is a huge short interest in the name. If they say anything remotely close to being good for Nordstrom's and Nordstrom's Rack, I think the stock goes up. We've seen it before. Also, the chance of them maybe taking themselves
2: private. All
4: it's very
2: delayed.
1: Delayed
4: Got a delayed You really bag. have
2: to listen, and then this reinforces your... I I was about you to got? say,
4: all those reasons make me shop it. Then they were going to drop the graphic, but they jumped me. Do you think that... Now, forget it now. <laughs> <laughs> they had their chance.
2: It would have been really well Drop done. it again.
4: Nah, no. Not, no, it's let's, not let's, fun now, Let's Tim. do one
2: more. All right, let's, let's give it all another right. go. Let's... TJ Maxx up 16% this year on deck to report tomorrow. I don't know why it gets a gong. I guess bonus round. Dan, what do you say? Uh, you listen, stop...
5: The stock has been really volatile over the last year. Um, It's down about 12.5% from its recent highs. I suspect some of these discounters do better. I think structurally they have very different issues than, let's say, your Nordstrom's that you were shopping. Uh, But I think you can also shop this one um, after the print here. Results are fine. This thing should hold up better than a lot of its um, discretionary brethren.
2: All right, coming up, we're getting fresh headlines on General Electric. We'll bring you the details ahead, plus lift shares on a bumpy ride as the Sox lock-up period ends. And now options traders are betting on even bigger moves ahead. We'll break down the action. Don't go anywhere. Much more Fast Money right after this. We've got a news alert coming out of the White House. Let's get to Eamon Javers at the White House with the details. Eamon.
4: Yeah, Melissa, White House officials now pouring some cold water on that trial balloon we saw floated earlier this afternoon in The Washington Post about the possibility of a payroll tax cut uh, being worked on by the Trump administration. Now a White House official issuing this statement saying, as Larry Kudlow said yesterday, more tax cuts for the American people are certainly on the table, but cutting payroll taxes is not something under consideration at this time. So uh, the trial balloons go up and the trial balloons go down, and this one is definitely going down. But you note that phrasing there, not something under consideration at this time. So that always leaves the door open for uh, coming back to this idea. It seems it seems pretty dead for now, though, Melissa.
2: All right. Eamon, thank you, Eamon Jabbers. Goodbye. At the White House, we've actually got some more news here. Uh, this time, it's on General Electric. Let's get to Seema Modi at headquarters with this one, Sema.
3: And Melissa, it involves the Kansas Insurance Department, the state insurance regulator, issuing a statement that the Harry Markopolos report alleging fraud at General Electric is quote fairly simplistic in nature and doesn't appear to incorporate certain technical reserve considerations that were considered during the department's most recent financial examination as of December 31st, 2017 and the annual analysis review of the Confidential Actuarial Opinion Memorandum at December 31st of 2018. This is notable because Markopolis used state insurance records from a number of states, including Kansas, to inform his report and analysis, uh, shares of GE are flat after hours. But worth noting, off the lows hit
2: back on Thursday. Melissa. All right. Thank you, Seema. Seema Modi, I'm back at headquarters here. Tam, you're an owner of GE. So what do you make? Well, of
1: I, I think the, the the news coming from an insurance regulator is is reassuring. That's I, I don't. Look, the big issue here is what happens in the second half for their power business. Does that lead to uh, minus 1 billion or minus 5 billion? Uh, That's the story here. Getting their aviation business up 35%, which is still guidance out there, is something uh, I would still be concerned about. So while uh, I can't know what the accounting irregularities may have been or not at all over the last 10 years. I can tell you about the core business that investors are focused on. And and I think the the turnaround that Larry Culp and Co. are undergoing, especially in getting profitable power contracts going forward, I think is happening. Uh, And I do think that there's been a surprise. And I think that's a pretty big delta on where we could be. But I think it's going to be closer to one negative.
2: Where do you stand on where this turnaround is? Early. I think it's, you know, you're, you're probably, you know,
4: Nine months into a turnaround it's probably gonna take two years, two and a half years. Tim would probably agree to that. The question is, do you give do you give them the benefit of the doubt in month nine or do you wait it out? I mean, I think he would also admit that the stock has a chance to go lower as well. I think it does. I think Culp's the right guy. I think he will do it the right way. Danaher was a fantastic is a fantastic company. He comes from good stock. But this doesn't change Overnight, especially if the market's about to sort of have an, an event. I think GE goes lower from here before it goes higher.
2: You said it's not a time to pound the table and trade war stocks. I don't know if you think that if industrials or GE specifically falls into this category, but certainly they're buffeted by things like a stronger dollar.
6: Yeah, well, I'll tell you what we are looking at within the industrial space is actually the machinery stocks, which we think are really are sort of at the epicenter of the trade wars. Um, They haven't looked crowded on our work. Um, We have noticed that they're sort of in the sweet spot of ownership, where they've got good fundamental endorsement. They're not crowded yet. They have room to move up. Valuations look cheap. That's really where we're trying to steer people in industrials, if they can be long-term.
2: Up next, Lyft's IPO lockup period officially ending today, and that sparked some big activity in the options market. We'll break down all the action. Plus, take a look at our Kramer cam. Jim is talking about today's big rally and where the markets are headed next. That is coming up on Mad Money at the top of the hour. We are live at the Nasdaq in Times Square. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. The wait is finally over for Lyft insiders who want to offload some of their stock. The ride share company's lock-up period expiring today. It was moved up from next month in a surprise announcement that sent the stock lower. Lyft has lost about 28% since its late March IPO. Let's get back to Deidre Bosa with more on what is next for Lyft. Hey, Deidre.
0: Hey, Melissa, well, that lockup applies to 88% of its shares, so a flood of supply available to now trade from insiders, many of whom have been sitting on paper gains for years and bought at prices far below where shares are now, even after that disappointing post-IPO performance. Lyft, however, because it was public for so long, has a wide range of investors from venture capital firms that are more likely to lock in gains now to mutual funds and asset managers that are more likely to hold onto the name for longer. Now, that is true of other high-profile tech IPOs this year, like Uber and Pinterest. So what happens to Lyft in the wake of its expiry could set the tone for others. Ubers will face this test on November 6th, Pinterest on October 15th. Now, if you look at previous high-profile IPOs and what happened on the day of their lockup expirations, it's... Pretty difficult to predict what will actually happen in the longer term. After a bumpy IPO, Facebook shares jumped more than 12% when insiders were able to sell. Since then, it's been on a pretty steady trajectory upwards, now worth more than half a trillion dollars in market cap. Snap. Declined 1% on the day its lockup expired. Shares have struggled since then, and even with this year's nearly 200% gain, it is still trading below that $17 IPO price. Lastly, just want to point out Twitter lost 18% on its lockup expiry and went on to trade as high as $73 and as low as $13 a share. So, guys, put simply and this may be obvious, insiders are going to hold on to shares in Lyft, and this year's class of IPOs, if they think it'll lead to larger returns in the future, the ride-sharing names, they're still working to convince investors that they'll be able to stem losses and get to profitability eventually. Melissa.
2: All right, Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa in San Francisco. Let's find out more on where Lyft could be headed next. Dan Nathan took a trip into the options market. He's back. Yeah, what
5: so
7: interesting,
5: <laughs> interesting day today, Mel, well, in I'll the stock. Back. You know. the stock volume was about four times average daily since it went public back in April but the options volume was about two times average daily volume and it was interesting to me there wasn't too many block trades that caught my eye but the most interesting thing was the most active strike it was the April 23rd this Friday expiration 50 puts and a lot of them looked to be sold to close and I can tell that from the open interest coming into today so it might have been long holders who had bought some short dated puts for fear that the stock could break down and make a new low here so that's giving some confidence maybe that some holders are thinking that with the stock stability today only down Mm 1.5% on big volume that it might be putting in um, a near turn bottom. Let's just go to that chart. This is the chart since um, the IPO in April. And it's really interesting. See that circle right there? That was August 7th when the company reported their Q2 earnings. The stock was trading in the aftermarket up 12% on a lot of the metrics that they did really well on. It was a really good report. And then that notice of the accelerated lockup, which just by the way, I was told by Ben, was in the S1, but people didn't see it. And they had the option to do that right. if it was not in uh, the quiet period. The stock has you know, gone down to 51.5. It looks like 50 on that chart is a good level. Real quickly, that's implied volatility, the price of options. I think this new shares that can trade now with short interest as high as it were, you may see some of that pair off and that may be vol dampening. So options in Lyft might get a whole heck of a lot cheaper, especially if it could find some support in this $50 level.
2: I mean, the case could be made that the drop because of the lockup expiration happened prior to the to the lockup expiration itself because of the way it was.
4: Without, I mean, to Dan's point, that August seventh release, the stock was trading up to sixty-three dollars in the afternoon. We were sitting here talking about what a great quarter was. it. the only thing that we concerned about, they lumped on this two hundred seventy-five million share lockup coming out today, and we said, you know, you got to take some pause with that. And here we are, from sixty-three to fifty-one. The May low, I think, was forty-seven seventeen, give or take. I think Dan's right. I think you're getting towards levels now where it becomes very interesting based
2: on that last quarter's release. But it is still 80 percent of the fully diluted share count. Yeah. What is expiring? I mean, that's crazy. That's it, a huge amount.
1: It is. So, if you own this, if you're buying this company today, though, you, I don't think you're buying it for a trade. I, I think you are truly going to be an investor. Um, these guys gave very good numbers. They they, they fast forwarded their path to profitability. RPAR revenue per active rider. Guy, did you hear that RPAR? It's a mm-hmm. new term. Is that really Trades a term? As opposed to yeah. R-par. R-par. revenue per, per active rider. R-par. revenue per active R-par. Revenue per rider. Active rider. Um, was up 22%, which means they have higher ticket numbers. And I'm sorry, guys, it's a new term. I know we, you know, there's a lot of lingo and yeah, no, in the financial It is for real. World. Their take
5: rates were higher. That's what you're getting to, yeah. too. There's a lot of stuff in there that gave investors confidence that the story, as a pure play on rideshare in the United States, right. is kind of working and they're a bit more focused than their friends over at Uber who have to think about what does geographic competition look like? What does Leaps, it look like as they do delivery, as they do a whole host of other things? So to me, I think this story is starting to shape up once you get this lock up the concern about it out of the way. All
2: right. For more options action, you can catch the full show Friday, five thirty PM Eastern Time. Up next we got the final trades. news alert on shares disrupted the stock is falling hard in the after hour session down nine and a half percent the fda says it is concerned about its muscular dystrophy drug uh, specifically two problems uh, related to the intravenous infusion ports as well as renal toxicity seen in preclinical models of of the drug and observed following the administration of the drug so we are seeing that stock down sharply um, Guy, I'm not sure yeah, what Yeah, I got to go making. through it. This was yeah. a
4: power pitch quickly. I think it was $90 when I did it. Went up to $150. Here we are, round turning. Listen, a lot of news has to come out. I'd like to read a little bit more. At a certain point, it's compelling. Again, probably back at that 90 level where we started in the first place.
1: Final trade time. Tim. Reminding you of our Shop It and Drop It segment, Home Depot would be a shop. And again, the, the, the sensitivity around interest rates, has been it's been very negative for Home Depot at times. And therefore, it's been a tailwind here. Home Depot, take it.
2: Lori Calvicina.
6: We like we like consumer staples. We like the dividend yield. It does well when the Fed's easing. The valuations look fine. It's got low policy risk, not just from the trade war, but also from
2: the 2020 election. Great having you on, by the way.
5: Dan. Yeah, Lyft, I think you want to trade it against those lows from a couple months ago. She oh. tolerated our tomfoolery in the breaks, which is so
2: much of it, too. Yeah. I mean, Dollar so Gen much. into
4: earnings, I believe, on Wednesday, Mel. All
2: right, uh, that is Rusty. It's back here tomorrow at five. More fast. Mad Money begins right now.